Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. like to say happy Mother's Day and to congratulate all the mothers that are with us today. There's uh, one thing that every mother in the world has in common with every other mother in the world. Stating the obvious, they have a child. And uh, the thing about children is they start out small, but they don't stay that way. They get bigger and bigger. And um, I want to tell you a story that took place long ago in a land far away. There were a husband and a wife who were getting ready to go out to dinner. And this was a very eventful time, not because of the dinner so much, but this was the very first time they were going to leave the kids home alone. So the oldest child was 12 years old, and they felt that he was now old enough to babysit his younger sisters, aged about uh, nine and seven or so. And uh, so there was a new development that made them feel a little bit better about doing that. This. Uh, brand new invention that they'd never had before, a cell phone. They had their very first cell phone. Uh, now, uh, I'm sure everybody today kind of takes it for granted that uh, if you're away out to dinner with your wife that uh, you can be contacted immediately if there were, there's an emergency, but that didn't used to be the case. Uh, and so, uh, but they had the cell phone, the son knew how to use the landline to call the cell phone, they had practiced and and so they were ready to leave him in charge and go out to dinner. And so they did. And they were anticipating a, a nice, quiet evening. But things didn't turn out that way because the two little girls were not above making life miserable for the brother. And um, they fooled him. Um, they, they acted nice for a while. And uh, so uh, he relaxed, and uh, he stepped into his bedroom to read a book. Um, little, well, anyway, in that particular house, all the doors had a lock on them, and all of these doors were uh, controlled by a skeleton key, and the same skeleton key would work in all the doors in the house. And so when he stepped into his bedroom, the girls took the skeleton key out of the bathroom door and they shut his bedroom door and locked it and locked him in his room. And uh, fortunately, the young man was resourceful and so he opened up his first floor window and he jumped out the window and he ran around the house and went in through the front door and went into the kitchen and dialed the landline and said, I need help. And so the parents... Uh, then took their meal to go, 
uh, said we needed to go box and paid and, and headed home and put down the insurrection and uh, uh, life uh, returned to normal. Now, I'm not going to tell you how I know this, um, but I am going to tell you why I'm telling you this story. Uh, the reason I'm telling you this story is the passage of scripture that we're looking at today is a babysitting story. And so if you would like to take your Bibles and please open to the book of Galatians. And in the book of Galatians, we'd like to look at chapter 3, verse 19 through chapter 4, verse 7. But before that, I'd like to make one more short detour and think about the phrase, please open in your Bibles to Galatians 3:19 to 4:7. And the first phrase I'd like to think about there is your Bible. And the reason I say that is the Bible is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for teaching and for correction and for instruction and in righteousness that those who are followers of Jesus Christ may be uh, complete, uh, thoroughly equipped to do every good work. And so if you can only own one book in the entire world, then the book that we would encourage you to own would be the Bible. That's the most important book there is. And so it's possible that uh, we have someone either here in person today or someone uh, listening online who uh, maybe is fairly new to the Bible and does not yet have one, and uh, we would like to help you with that. And so uh, we would be happy to help advise you uh, if you'd like to buy a Bible on which one might work best for you. And so if you're like me and you wear bifocals, uh, we'll advise a different Bible than we will for a 16-year-old. Uh, who has better eyes, and, and we can talk about which one will work best for you. Um, it's possible you're here this morning and you accidentally left yours at home, and, and we'd be glad to loan you a Bible. We have Bibles on the tables in the back of the auditorium, and you can feel free to borrow one of those. Um, and if uh, buying a Bible is difficult for you, we want you to have one bad enough that we'll give you one. And so if you're here this morning, uh, you may uh, not only borrow one of those Bibles, but you may take one of those Bibles and you may have it. Uh, if uh, you're uh, online, please contact us and we'll be happy to help you because we think everybody should have a Bible. But you get a Bible, and maybe you haven't used a Bible before, and so I say, uh, let's open in your Bibles to Galatians 3.19, and how on earth do I do that? Well, as you take your Bible and open in the front, and get all the family, past all the family trees and stuff like that, and the preface, and keep going, eventually you come to the table of contents. And uh, as you look at the table of contents, you can see the Bible's divided into the Old Testament and the New Testament. And if you look in the New Testament section, it lists all the books of the New Testament in the order in which they appear. And the ninth, ninth book down there is the book of Galatians. And then if you follow the row of dots over, you can see the page where Galatians starts in your Bible. Now, in my Bible, it's page 1,336, but it's almost certainly a different page number in your Bible because different editions of the Bible are printed with different size type, and they're printed on different size paper, 
And so all of them have a different number of pages, and so uh, any given book appears on a different page in your Bible. But if you look in your table of contents, then you can look at the appropriate page and see where it is, and you can turn over. And so as I turn over to page 1336, I have the book of Galatians in my Bible. And as I look at the book of Galatians, I can see that there's some big numbers and there's some smaller numbers in the book of Galatians. And the big numbers are chapters. There's six of them in the book of Galatians. And the small numbers are verses. And each of the chapters in the book of Galatians is uh, divided up into a uh, different number of verses. They're all roughly about 20 in the book of Galatians. They vary some depending on which book you're in. So if you look for the big number three, that'll be chapter three. And then under that, if you run down until you get to the little number 19, that is where the passage that we're looking at this morning starts. And I'm going to start reading in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. And I'm going to keep reading until I get through chapter 4, verse 7. So I'd like to invite you to stand for the reading of Scripture this morning. Galatians 3:19 to 4:7. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture was confined, the scripture has confined all under sin, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, as we look at this portion of your word this morning, I ask that you would help me to accurately and clearly present what it's saying. I pray that each of us would receive your word and that it would make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. I ask in his name, amen. You may be seated. So to go back to the first verse that I read, Galatians 3.19, it starts out, what purpose then does the law serve? And the entire rest of the passage that we're looking at this morning is designed to answer that one question. And to answer that question, we need to think back over the book of Galatians as we've been studying it so far and what has it said that got us to the point where we're asking this question. And you may remember that the book of Galatians talks about a man in the Old Testament named Abraham. And God had promised that he was going to bless the entire human race through a descendant of Abraham. And that descendant would someday be Jesus. Jesus, God, the eternal Son who had existed from all eternity past in heaven and glory, became a man, lived the perfect life on earth that God demands from mankind as his creature, died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, because we don't live that perfect life and rose from the dead to give us new life. And so when God gave Abraham that promise, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. He was justified by faith in the promised Messiah who was coming. Now, later on in the Old Testament, God sent a man named Moses to Egypt because the descendants of Abraham were in slavery in Egypt. And so God sent Moses there to deliver his people from slavery in Egypt and to bring them to the land that he had promised to Abraham. And as Moses led the people out of Egypt, he led them into the wilderness to Mount Sinai, and at Mount Sinai, God gave them the law. After Jesus came many years later, the gospel came not only to the descendants of Abraham, Jews, but it also came to Gentiles. The good news about Jesus Christ and his salvation came to people who were not physically descended from Abraham. And there were some people that were trying to say to those people, people like me, I'm not physically descended from Abraham as far as I know. Um, so say to a person, a Gentile like me, just putting your faith in Jesus Christ is not enough. You also need to keep the law that came through Moses in order to be saved. And in Galatians, uh, a spokesperson for God, Paul, 
speaking on his behalf, is telling the Galatians, no, you do not have to keep the law in addition to trusting in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. You only need to put your faith in Jesus. And so then the question comes, well, if the only thing you need to do to be saved is put your faith in Jesus, the descendant who was promised to come to Abraham, then why after Abraham did God send Moses with the law? And the answer begins in verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seeds should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. And so when we're talking about the law, we're talking about a babysitting story. So when you have young children and you do something like go out to dinner, why do you have a babysitter? And the reason you have a babysitter is because your kids are sinners. Um, if you don't have a babysitter, then they may burn the house down. They may kill each other. Um, who knows what they may do, but it may not be good. And so for their own protection and for the protection of everyone around them, you send them a babysitter. You want to keep them out of trouble until mom and dad can get home. And that's the purpose that the law serves. The law was given because people are sinners. And so God gave the law to keep the nation of Israel in particular out of trouble until the Messiah could come. And so in chapter 3, we can look at verses 21 and 22. It says, Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And so basically verse 21 is saying, if the law could save, we wouldn't need Jesus. If the law could save people, why would Jesus need to come? You know, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying to his father. And he said, Father, if there is any other way to do this, then let's not have me go to the cross. But not my will but your will be done. And the Heavenly Father didn't say, you know, Jesus, you're right. We'll just have people keep the law. That'll take care of it for them. And so you don't have to go to the cross. In spite of the agony that it would cause Jesus, in spite of the agony that it would cause God the Father to send his son to the cross, he said there is no other way. 
if we are going to redeem mankind, you need to go to the cross. There was no other way. The law could not save. And verse 22 tells us why the law cannot save. It's because we are sinners. The law shows us that we are sinners, but the law cannot take away our sins. If we could perfectly keep the law, then the law could save us. But none of us have and none of us do. None of us can. We sin. And as sinners, the law can tell us that we are worthy of eternal separation from God because we've sinned against him. But the law cannot take away our sins. And so Jesus came to pay the penalty that we deserved so that he could restore us to God. You know, as I think about the law, the law can say you shouldn't do that and you shouldn't do that and you shouldn't do that. The law can't stop us from doing it. It reminds me of something a friend of mine used to say when we were kids. He would say, you know, I buy you books and I buy you books and all you do is chew off the covers. Um, you know, it's just going over your head. It's not sinking in. It's not accomplishing its intended purpose. And the law cannot make us holy so that we can come into fellowship with God. Well, then verses 23 to 25 say, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. And so verse 23 says we were kept under guard. The law kept us in protective custody. The law was like a babysitter making sure that the nation of Israel didn't run out and play in traffic because God's plan was to bring Jesus through the nation of Israel. And if the nation of Israel was not restrained from their natural impulses, then they would act just like the Gentile nations around them and they would pursue destructive ends and uh, would not accomplish the purpose that God had for them. And so the law enabled the nation of Israel not to self-destruct prior to the time when Jesus Christ came. Verse 24 refers to the law as a tutor. And the word that's used here is used of a servant who escorts a child to school. So it's like, Johnny, it's time for Johnny to go to school, and so... Uh, the servant is going to walk with Johnny to school to make sure he gets there safely. The servant does not educate Johnny. The servant makes sure Johnny safely gets to where he is going to be educated. It keeps him protected until he gets where he needs to go. And the law serves that purpose for us and serve that purpose for the nation of Israel. The law escorts us to Jesus Christ. And so the law escorts us to Jesus Christ by showing us that we are sinners and that we have a need. We look at the law, and uh, the, in this case, the moral aspects of the law, and we see, I 
Do not keep these things perfectly. I break the law. I am a sinner. I have a infinite need. I am in need of a Savior. And then the law beyond that shows us how to recognize the Savior when he comes. The law is full of pictures, full of pictures of cleansing and atonement through the shedding of blood so that when Jesus Christ comes because of the law, we can know what John the Baptist is talking about when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. We are saved not by the law. We are saved not by faith plus the law, but we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ. We call upon him because of what he's done, and we receive the gift of eternal salvation through faith in him. And so through faith in Jesus Christ, then, we become children of God. Verses 26 through 29 say, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So verse 26 tells us that when we put our faith in Jesus, we become children of God. We are united with Jesus Christ by faith. He is the Son of God. As we're united with him by faith, we become sons and daughters of God because of our union with him. Verse 27 talks about that in terms of baptism. Now, verse 27 is not talking about water baptism. Notice it doesn't say, for as many of you as were baptized into water have put on Christ. It says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. And so this verse is not talking about water baptism. It's talking about what we call spirit baptism. Spirit baptism means when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you recognize that you are a sinner and there is nothing that you can do to save yourself, when you recognize that Jesus bore the penalty of your sins on the cross and that he rose again to give you new life, when you recognize that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe on your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you are saved. And as you then put your faith in Jesus Christ, as you call upon him for salvation, then the Holy Spirit takes you and places you into Christ. And water baptism is a picture of what happens in spirit baptism. And so as the candidate for baptism is standing in the water, 
They are saying, because I have put my faith in Jesus Christ, because I trust in him, then when he was nailed to the cross, I was nailed there with him. And in him, my sins were paid for in full. And then as the candidate is put under the water, they're saying, and as my sins were paid for in full, I was dead to sin. I was buried with Jesus as he lay there in the grave. And as the baptismal candidate comes out of the water, he's proclaiming, as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, because I'm united with him by faith, I rose with him. I have received new life from God. I have a new life. I am no longer a sinner condemned to eternal separation from God, but I am a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And since then, according to verse 27, we are united with Jesus Christ through faith. Then, verse 28, we are united with each other by faith. Verse 28, I am united with everyone who is united with Jesus Christ. I cannot look down on my brother or sister in Jesus Christ based on their ethnicity. I cannot say they're a Jew and I'm a Greek, or I'm a Greek and they're a Jew, or um, I'm Caucasian and they're black, or uh, I'm American and they're Chinese, or uh, any other uh, ethnic uh, distinction between me and another follower of Jesus Christ. We are one in Christ. Uh, there's no distinction based on social status. It's not, you know, I'm management and they're labor, or I'm labor and they're management, or uh, I'm unemployed, or I'm a billionaire, or I'm starving to death. Uh, wherever I am socioeconomically, I am united with everyone else who is united with Jesus Christ, no matter where they are socioeconomically. Nor is there a division based on gender. It's not men get in and not women, or women get in and not men, but we are all united in Christ, all of us who have faith in him. Uh, he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so the way to Jesus Christ is open to the entire human race. All are invited to come. And as they come, he wants us to receive each other as he has received us. And so having said all of this, then in chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, summarize the ideas that have been presented. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. 
But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Abba, by the way, is Aramaic for daddy. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And so verses 1 through 3 basically say, we used to be small children and we had a babysitter and that babysitter was the law. And verses 4 through 5 say, the time for babysitters has now passed. We are adult children and we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ alone. And then verses 6 and 7 say, as we put our faith in Jesus Christ alone, then the Holy Spirit testifies to us that we are God's children and we inherit the blessings that he has prepared for us. Back when I was in high school, I used to babysit for my cousins at times. But I would never dream of uh, going to one of my cousin's homes now and going in and bossing them around. Uh, they are now adults, and they don't need a babysitter anymore. And so they are responsible for themselves. And believers, likewise, don't need a babysitter. We should be trusting in Jesus alone for our salvation. Now, it's possible that there's someone that's here this morning or there's someone listening that is not a child of God. And I've shared a lot of information quickly, and it's possible that you have not had time to absorb it. If you have not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ and you would like to do that, I'd be delighted to take God's word and show you how you can be sure that you have become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. No longer a slave to sin, but now a child of God. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.